Good morning. So nice to see you here today. If the lights just went out. <laughs> if you are um, visiting us today, if it, you're a guest today, we especially welcome you. We hope you will find this to be the warm and friendly congregation it is, and that this will be a meaningful time of worship for you. And hope you'll stay after a little bit, um, hang around in the coffee corner and talk to some people and get to know us better. Also, if you didn't hit the welcome desk as you came in, you might want to stop by there on the way out and get some more information about the church. I invite the people who are on the inside end of the pews to take the friendship pads and sign those and pass them down to your neighbors. A few announcements. I had intended to have a youth group service project on the morning of Martin Luther King Day, and kids' schedules did not work out, and so um, Britt Platt and Kim Catchpole Patton will be leading a youth service project on Sunday, February 4th, downstairs in the kitchen, preparing meals to take to the castle down the street. That same day, we will be up here at our annual meeting. So right after church, plan to stay for the annual meeting that day. You don't want us nervous that we don't have a quorum because you left, so I hope that you will stay for that. It doesn't take an extraordinarily long time. Um, the memorial service for Paul Lentz will be next Saturday, January 27th at 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary. And um, at 1 o'clock, Hazel Keeley's memorial service will be at Bethany. If you need any more information about that, you can call the church office. A few other things. Officer training, the second part, is today after worship, so I hope you will be there. Um, and the ordination and installation of officers, which includes everybody who's going to still be on session this year, um, that will be held on January 28th during the worship service. Elderberries will be meeting February 2nd, and their program is Aging with Humor. I think I need to go to that. Okay, and Ruth Circle, Wednesday, January 24th. Every Wednesday at 3.30 is the knitting group. They'd love to have somebody join them. And we're starting back up with our Wednesday evening dinner and program, um, the series on The Chosen, with just watching little parts of that and discussing them. And that will start on January the 31st. So I hope those who came before and some who didn't will come. Just thinking way ahead, February 14th, which is Valentine's Day, is also Ash Wednesday. So keep that in mind on your calendar. I think that's almost, oh, also Project Read, we've been doing for a while. We have boxes and this entrance and the one down by, by the church office. And it's a wonderful way to help um, teachers and nonprofit organizations. And sometimes we get a lot, sometimes we get a few. However, there's an Eagle Scout project that someone is doing to collect books, and she would be really happy if you went through your books and brought some in this week so that that could be part of the Eagle Scout project. So please try to do that if you can, and make sure that you look in news and notes and in your bulletin for other information, including the art show raffle and silent auction for the preschool. A lot of stuff coming up. Now let us prepare our hearts and our minds to worship God. As I light the Christ candle here in the sanctuary, I invite those who are worshiping with us at home by live stream to light their Christ candles at home. And now, please rise if you are able, and let us join together in our call to worship. God, it is good to be here in your presence, among your people. Help us to let go of all the distractions that fill our minds and open our hearts to you as we worship together. Speak to 
And let us join together in our unison prayer of confession. Holy God, we are grateful that Christ called people from all walks of life to turn toward your light. You have entrusted us as your disciples to cherish other people by seeking them out and restoring them to wholeness. Forgive us, Lord, for we are quick to focus on ourselves and our labels and our differences. Give us the courage and compassion to reach out to others and to cast our nets wide with Christ-like love. Now the assurance of forgiveness. Hear the good news. God has forgiven each one of us and calls us to take our parts in the drama of redeeming love. those of you who are worshiping with us at home, we extend the peace of Christ to each and every one of you. To those worshiping in the sanctuary, I would encourage you as you're able to turn around and greet those who are worshiping here with you. Peace.
Please stand. Let us pray. Dear God, as we prepare to hear your word this morning, we pray that we will listen with open ears and receptive, inquiring minds and passionate hearts to what you have to say to us, and that we will act with courage and conviction in responding to your directions. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first scripture reading is taken from Psalm 86, verses 4 through 12. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my cry of supplication. In the day of my trouble, I call on you, for you will answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. The word of the Lord.
invite the children to come and meet me in the chancel. anyway. Okay. So two of you have fish puppets and the rest of you have other types of fish. So, and I've got a fishing pole. So what do you think we might be talking about this morning? Fishing. Have any of you ever been fishing? Who's been fishing? A lot of you. You started to cry because you hate looking at fish, huh? Not everybody likes fish. When I was your age, I learned to fish. And there's a, a man from our congregation used to take um, people your age out for their first time fishing on a trip every year. So when we fish, we usually use something like this or another kind of pole, right? And we just catch one fish at a time, right? But back in Jesus' time, they did it a different way. Don't let me hit you with that. They had a great big net like this. See him throwing, it like takes his whole body to throw that net out there. That's a lot of effort. Did you ever see Finding Nemo, the movie? Yes. Yeah. Do you remember when all those fish got caught in the net? Yeah. It was a big net, right? Ah, yeah, she does. Okay, so remember this kind of a net. So in our story, Jesus is walking along the seashore and the Sea of Galilee, which is more like a lake, really, but really big. And he sees some fishermen out in their boat. They're close enough to shore they can hear him. And he says, come and follow me. What would you think? These are fishermen. They fish for a living. And some dude on the beach is saying, hey, come and follow me. I would just kind of think he was a little crazy. But they seem to know that Jesus is somebody they trust. And you know what they do? They just drop their nets right where they are, and they start to follow him. And then he says something even a little stranger. He says, you're not going to be fishing for fish anymore. You're going to fish for people. That sounds scary. You think they're going to cast a line like this and hook somebody in the mouth? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not what he means. That's not what he means. And he doesn't mean to take a great big net and throw them over people and capture them like Nemo. He doesn't mean that either. What he means is that when we follow Jesus, if we do the things Jesus did, if we're loving and kind and take care of people and look out for people that, that are poor or hungry, if we do all those kind of things, if we really love people, it's like throwing out a net, but not like a Nemo net. It's like throwing out a net of love. And that means just all of those people, they aren't literally caught up in a net, but they're kind of drawn into Jesus because they think, gee, if that person is so loving and so kind and so wonderful to people, I want that. I want to know this Jesus they know. And that's really a wonderful thing that God gives us, that we help other people to know who Jesus is just because of who we are. And that's kind of our challenge our whole lives long because it's not easy. But we keep trying, not only because it's the right thing to do, but it's the loving thing to do, and it's God's thing for us to do. So let's have a prayer, and you can repeat each part after me, okay? Can we pray? Thank you, God. For asking us to be your disciples and asking us to be your friends. Help us to show your love to others so that they'll want to be your friends too. Amen. Now, I need my fish back in case I need to talk about fish again sometime. There you go. You can. 
reading today is from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Let us hear the gospel of the Lord. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I worked as a waitress through high school and college and seminary. And even though that was many years ago, I just can't change certain habits from those days. Every year at the Epiphany Feast, someone will ask me to sit down and let other people pick up the dishes. But I'm almost incapable of doing that. I need to get those dishes cleared, not only so that they won't be cluttering up the tables when we move into the worship part of the evening, but because something in me just can't leave them there, and something in me just can't sit down while others are working to do that around me. Is there something that you've done for so long that it's just become a part of who you are? Whatever it is, running, quilting, painting, singing, nursing, helping people and their families with finances, whatever it is, imagine someone just asking you to leave it behind, to let go of that part of yourself, to follow them. Fishing was not only the job of Andrew and James and Simon, but in some big ways it defined who they were. Now, I grew up fishing the way some of you have done it, like I said with the kids, the rod and the reel and the one fish at a time. But the way the disciples did it with that big net involved backbreaking work all day long, either in the hot sun or in the cooler winter. They cast their nets into the Sea of Galilee, hauling up the fish and then taking them into market. Now, in those days, King Herod would tax the people on every fish they caught, so I imagine fishermen didn't make a whole lot of money for their work. Still, it astounds us when we read this text, we think this has to be hyperboles, couldn't possibly be true, that Jesus just says, follow me, and they drop their nets and they go. The nets they drop are not just literal, they are metaphorical. The three men let go of the way they have understood their lives and themselves. They changed their way of being in the world. We don't know if they had already heard about Jesus' teachings before, if this is the first time they encounter him. There's something about him they trust, something about him that speaks to their hearts. Jesus shows up on the shoreline telling them to follow, and they seem to realize that if they want to be a part of this new thing that God is doing, they need to leave something behind. You can't hold on so tight to the past that you have no room for the new thing that God is placing in your path. This story can trouble us because it seems to set such an impossible standard. Not many people feel like if given the same situation, they would have just immediately left home and family and job to follow this poor itinerant preacher around the countryside. Far from that response, you and I tend to be hesitant to change anything. Day after day, we keep casting the same nets. Our habits, our priorities, our values, our shortcomings, the parts of ourselves that we know we need to change, but we just can't bring ourselves to do it. 
deep down we know that there has to be something more to life, but we struggle to let go of whatever is keeping us from doing little more than floating above the surface of things. So why does God call us? I don't know about you, but I don't feel particularly worthy of being a disciple. The thing is, God doesn't call us to be disciples because of who we are or because we're particularly worthy. A seminary classmate of mine, Reverend Tom R., explains this so well in a story about when he was playing football in elementary school. He's not the most sporty person, so I don't think it happened often. Most games in elementary school were played on this big field that had no goalposts, no bleachers, no nothing. But the final game was going to be in a real stadium with real goalposts and bleachers that looked very high to somebody in elementary school. And Tom was really jazzed. And then the week before, he was playing with some neighborhood friends and ended up running right into a tree, got a huge knot on his forehead, and the doctor told him he couldn't play in that big game on that wonderful field. He couldn't even put on a helmet. He was devastated. But then, the night before the big game, he got a phone call from his coach who said he needed Tom's help. He got him to suit up, except for the helmet, and asked him to keep score. Now, there was already one of those really big scoreboards at the stadium, but the coach gave Tom a clipboard with his name on masking tape at the top and told him that it wasn't always accurate on the scoreboard and he needed him to double check and he needed him to keep score too. He said, and stand by because I might need you for something else. Tom remembers it as a wonderful affirming experience. He remembers feeling important and proud that the coach wanted him. Looking back as an adult, Tom realizes that this had more to do with the character of the coach than with his particular abilities. He was chosen to be the assistant of the day, not so much because of who Tom was, but because of who the coach was. He wanted Tom to be a part of what was happening. God invites us to be disciples in the same way, not because of our worth, not because of our gifts, not because of our spirituality, not because of anything we have done, but because God loves us and God wants us to be a part of what really matters. Mark's gospel is a little different. You may have noticed it's shorter than the others. Every other word is immediately this happened and then this happened and immediately that happened. And so he doesn't have the incarnation narratives of Luke or Matthew or John. He doesn't have shepherds at the manger or magis in their beautiful robe. There's no light in the darkness. Instead, he simply begins with the story of John the Baptist, and then the first words we hear from Jesus are, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, that first part can be a little confusing for us. We think of the kingdom of God as something far off. But Jesus said it's already begun. Yes, there is struggle and evil still in this world, but whenever God is in our hearts, whenever we share the love of Christ with others, glimpses of the kingdom are already present. That is what the church is called to be, a glimpse of the kingdom of God. We don't have to wait until after death to start experiencing some kind of new life. You and I might be a little surprised to hear Jesus telling us to repent because we associate that with John the Baptist. But listen to the whole of what Jesus said, repent and believe in the good news. You see, repentance is not the dour, harsh, scary word we think it is. It doesn't mean to just feel really, really bad about yourself. And if you feel bad enough, then, then, then you're okay. Repentance means to turn around and go in a different direction. And it isn't something we do because that is the only way we will somehow achieve God's forgiveness and love and joy of the Spirit. It's the other way around. God offers forgiveness and love and joy, and repentance is the response to it. Knowing that God's arms are open to us, we turn around and head back into those arms. 
As Rick Morley has put it, when you're alone and walking down a dark and scary road, turning around is not a bad thing. You turn and run as quickly as you can in the opposite direction. It's a welcome thing. Repent is part of the poetry of exile, something the Israelites knew a lot about. Repenting when in exile means going home. If the church talked more about going home than feeling bad, the church would be a healthier, holier place. As it is used in the Bible, repentance is an opportunity to grow into the fullness of life that God intends for us. It is that kind of repentance that enables us to drop the nets of whatever we need in the life of faith so that we can move forward with Jesus into becoming the people God has called us to be. We are easily self-satisfied. We make do with a life that is less than all that God intends for us. Back in the years when I was an associate pastor, each year I would take the youth group on a mission service trip, usually in another state. One year we were in Washington, D.C. in a program for inner city children who were without a home. It was called, and still is called, Bright Beginnings. The program has a wonderful opportunity to be in an oasis of learning and support and kindness for children who have experienced things that no child should ever have to experience. It tries to make sure that children who are homeless or experiencing housing instability are healthy and engaged and supported and challenged so that they are prepared not only for the possibilities of school, but the possibilities of life. Children tend to blossom around teenagers, so the 25 youth that I took to the program that week brought a lot of smiles to little faces. One day, we went on a field trip with all of the children, teachers, and helpers. It was a trip out to a beautiful park about 30 minutes away from the inner city where they were. For little Elijah, who sat right next to me on the bus, the trip alone was an amazing adventure. You see, he had never been out of the inner city, had never seen a tree that wasn't surrounded by concrete, and the only water he knew came out of a faucet, so that a pond was a completely new experience for him. On the bus ride, his face just beamed with joy as he looked out of the window, amazed by the sights that you and I just drive by and take for granted. At the park, the expanse of green grass, the pond, the swans, the flowers were so exciting that he told me it had been the best day of his life. The reason that I'm sharing that experience with little Elijah is to remind you and me that when we are self-satisfied, we never explore new possibilities in our relationship with God or in the ways God might be calling us to serve in this world. Imagine if Elijah had refused to go on the field trip, too scared to experience anything outside of his usual world. The oppressive life of a homeless child in the most grimy, oppressive part of the city. He might have never known what was a simple ride away and leaned into a life that was open to beauty and the wonder of new things. He might have never known that just so close, there was something he never dreamed of. The kingdom of God, or God's real presence in the world, is near to us, but if we don't open the door, if we're too afraid to let go of the nets that are holding us back, we can't fully experience the wonders of God's love and God's call on our lives. Now imagine that Elijah went back to that homeless shelter and that he never told another child about his experience never shared what else was out there, never piqued another child's interest in the wonder and beauty of the world, how sad would that be? How sad is it when we see faith as a private thing that we never share with anyone? What opportunities to bring the possibilities of God's light to another soul do we miss because we don't engage in loving service to others? If we don't ever push the boundaries of our safe little spaces of belief, 
experience active living out the meaning of loving our neighbors, we will never know the fullness of life God intends for us in the here and now. What does it mean for you to follow Jesus and to live as if the kingdom of God is a present reality, the presence of God? Remember that others will come to know that reality through you when you answer the call to active, engaged, risk-taking discipleship. The first verse of the last hymn we're singing today in the worship service goes like this. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name? Will you go where you don't know and never be the same? Will you let my love be shown? Will you let my name be known? Will you let my life be grown in you and you in me? Jesus doesn't say, stay in your boats and think about me. He says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. We drop the nets we don't need, and we cast God's net wide. Jesus is not saying, manipulate and scare people into believing in me, or their souls are in trouble. Jesus says, love the people of this world as I love you, and they will be drawn to me. They will come home to me. And they will know how full and beautiful life can be. Amen. standing and join in the affirmation of faith, which comes from a brief confession of faith. In life and death we belong to God. We trust in one God, the Holy One, whom alone we worship and serve. We trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus was crucified, suffering the depths of human pain and giving his life for the sins of the world. God raised this Jesus from the dead, vindicating his sinless life, breaking the powers of sin and evil, delivering us from death to eternal life. We trust in the Holy Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life. The Spirit justifies us by grace through faith and sets us free to accept ourselves and to love God and neighbor. In gratitude to God, we strive to serve Christ in our daily tasks and to live holy and joyful lives, even as we watch for God's new heaven and new earth, praying, come Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Let us continue in the spirit of worship, giving thanks to God for all of God's many gifts to us and offering our lives as an act of dedication in the giving of our tithes and offerings to the Lord. Let us give now as the ushers come forward.
concerns today. We continue to lift up the families of those who've recently died, including uh, the family of Paul Lentz and the family of Hazel Keeley. Uh, other concerns, including uh, Vivian C., Ralph Y., Tom D., Wes and Gretchen C., who are all recovering from illness. Uh, ongoing health concerns, Haley, Riley, Clyde A., and we also want to pray for those dealing with cancer today, including Winifred, Susie, Nathan, Julia, David J., Marvin, Mike F., Phil, Donna, Renee, Chastity, Chastity C. Let's also remember those recovering from illness and some who've had surgery recently, Jim M., Roy B., and Del B. Continued prayers for Pat B. and Jason S., and for those in hospice care, Pat C., and Charles. And let us also pray for the needs of the world. Let us go now to the Lord in prayer. creative and creating God. Your mercy is unending, and your love knows no limits. And so we come to you in these quiet moments of prayer. We come not because we must, but because we may. We come because, not because we've earned your love, but because in your great mercy you love us just as we are. We come not because we are strong in and of ourselves, but because we seek the strength to face the challenges of being human. We praise you for your love and presence within and around us. We confess that sometimes we have been unloving toward and not present for others. And so for those times when we have been apathetic rather than active, critical rather than caring, disdainful rather than devoted, griping rather than grateful, petulant rather than peaceful, neglectful rather than nurturing, spiteful rather than supportive, thoughtless rather than thoughtful, forgive us, Lord. Compassionate God, we pray for those in need, and in particular ask for comfort and peace for those whose names we have mentioned this morning, and for all those who are living with armed conflict around the world. We pray today for the people of Kharkiv, the second largest city in Ukraine, which has been under almost daily bombardment of Russian missiles for the last month, with dozens being killed and injured. As Russia's war on Ukraine approaches the two-year mark, we ask for you to transform hearts and minds in order to bring an end to this senseless conflict. We pray also for those caught up in the ongoing violence in the Middle East, for the tragic destruction and loss of life in Gaza, for over 130 people, Israelis and people from other nations who are still being held hostage by Hamas, and for the family and loved ones of Tawfiq Hafez Abdel Jabbar, a 17-year-old Palestinian American from New Orleans who was shot to death on the West Bank on Friday. 
Lord, be with his family and loved ones in a special way. We pray also for the sick and the infirm. We pray that the same compassion that moved Jesus to heal the sick, bring healing and hope to all those who are burdened by illness, sorrow, or fear. We pray for those who live without meaning and hope, who live as objects of the whims of others, and those who live in broken families, broken communities, and a broken world. Lead your church toward a new vision of our mission in Christ, the vision of shalom, both for those who are far off and those who are near. We pray also for those who serve our nation, President Biden and Vice President Harris, members of the Senate and House of Representatives, Governor DeWine and members of our state legislature, our local government officials and Centerville city leaders. May their deliberations and decisions on our behalf be tempered with courtesy, respect, and a view toward justice and kindness for all your people. We offer all these prayers in the strong name of Jesus and unite now to pray as he taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Friends, Jesus calls you to follow. Will you drop the nets of the things that get in your way of that discipleship, that get in the way with your relationship to God, that get in the way of your love for others and even love for yourself and follow? Go in peace and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all this day and forevermore. Amen.